today, Lord, if we hear your voice, give us grace to soften our hearts that we might uh, enter into your rest and walk faithfully with you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, many of you know that uh, as sort of part of my extended sabbatical over the next year that I've begun um, a certificate called Narrative Focused Trauma Care. That's a mouthful. Narrative Focused Trauma Care. Basically what that means, I've shared that this briefly before, it basically means uh, dealing with the hurts of life through the power of your story, basically. Knowing your story, engaging your story, um, and then also being able to do that with others. Um, Hurts. Every human being experiences hurts and wounding in some way or another from our earliest days. Our parents are sinners. They're not perfect. And we have hurts beginning from those days all the way up to today. And how we deal with those hurts, uh, God gives us grace, you know, to move on. And sometimes we hold on to those ways of dealing with hurts to our detriment and to the detriment of, of relationship. You know, for example, like when the body experiences shock, that's, that's a, you know, the numbness, the like, so that you can move forward through this, that's a gift. But if you stay in shock, that's a disaster, right? Some of you are like, I don't have hurts that affect my life. Um, and I, I would beg to differ. I think, I think we do. Um, and the final, thing, final piece I'll say about that before we move to the scripture is this, these hurts lodge in our bodies. And I, I look, I'm, not, I'm like a total newbie, and I sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't. But I'm, I'm discovering some of these things, and I'm finding it very life-giving. Um, they lodge in our body. And when we experience a present hurt, a lot of times the way we respond is out of the past hurt. Why do I bring all that up? The place we find, it's not to make you feel uncomfortable. It's ultimately to lead to freedom and healing. Because the place we find ourselves in Hebrews today is in the context of a very traumatic story that the writer is taking the people to. Where we are in Hebrews 4, verse 12, uh, it jumps right in after a whole chapter uh, from from the middle of chapter 3 to the middle of chapter 4, where the writer has spent all this time laying Uh, before the people, a governing metaphor, a a, a story from their history, way, way, way back, that he is saying, this is where you find yourself today. Uh, No. 
Very often we do this we-they thing with us and the people in the Bible. And I know I certainly have. Like, I can't believe those people of Israel. I can't believe they saw God do all this stuff. They had the Red Sea. I can't believe they didn't trust God. Part of what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is we are they. And the story we're going through today is a very similar story. And so if you have your Bibles and you're looking there, you'll see that starting from the next verse after where Robert preached from last week, the writer says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he, and he jumps into a quote from Psalm 95. Now, well-acquainted Anglicans will hear Psalm 95 and go, ding, 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 that's the Vanity. That's the call to worship. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us shout for joy. Okay, I won't sing the whole thing for you, but it's a call to worship. It's a call to worship. And in the midst of that call to worship, the psalmist then says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and Massa, or in this version in Hebrews, which is quoted from the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, which is what uh, one of those words means, uh, on the day of testing, which is what the other word, Meribah and Massa, mean in the wilderness. So years later, the psalmist is saying, he's, the psalmist is putting the people back at that day. Today, if you hear his voice, don't be like them. You have, you have this opportunity to be before you. Well, what, what was, and then if you look just quickly through here, you see that phrase, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, three times. He keeps coming back to it. And then we have our verse, which we started today. The word of God is living and active. What is he saying? God is speaking. God is speaking. And then the other thing he keeps coming back to is the last verse there, and we see this several times. As I swore in my wrath, if they harden their hearts, they shall never enter my rest. Whew. Hard word. So what is he referring to? Quickly, uh, if, if you would turn there with me, if not, just listen. This is a very early story in the Exodus. This is Exodus 17, which is, again, where the writer to the Hebrews is placing the, the hearers of this book in this story. So they're just weeks they are not long after the Red Sea. They're not long after all the plagues. They're not long after every firstborn in Egypt was killed. And they left Egypt hearing wailing and weeping of mothers like them in the houses as they left. They're weeks out. They've already gone through the hunger thing in chapter 16 where they're, they're hungry, their food is run out, they're hungry, and that's the manna story. 
Then we come to 17. All the congregation of Israel uh, moved on according to the commandments of the Lord. So far, so good. And camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. No water for the people to drink. How long do you live without water? Three days? No water. God is speaking. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? They but they thirsted for water. And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children? Again, we might say, gosh, they saw all these miracles, this amazing stuff. Why are they testing the Lord? I want to suggest to you, these people were traumatized. They, they, yes, they, they did see the great hand of God. Yes. But think about what they'd been through to this point and what they were experiencing right now. Terror. No water. You know, how many, how many people out there needing water and there's none? Days away from death. Weeks away from seeing soldiers coming after them and they, they, they're at a sea that they can't cross and their hearts are beating out of their chest. It's over. And then they pass through and then they see all these people floating dead in the water. But that was after what we just described. And they turn on God, understandably. And as the story ends, it, th this is really what they're saying. It says in verse 7, God does provide water, but it says he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, again, testing and, and uh, quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? And it's not long after this that we, that we have the institution of the tabernacle and the priesthood. And I just want to quickly, there's a lot more about the priesthood in the book of Hebrews. So we're not going to cover it all. We'll touch on some of it on, in the evenings here. But... Um, again, like the, the, that's a big part of the book of Hebrews is to talk about that. But I do want to note, so in the midst of this rebellion, this is called the first rebellion of the people. Um, just a few chapters later in chapter 28 and 29, which is the whole section where we have the institution of the tabernacle, because God says, I'm going to dwell in your midst and also the institution of the priesthood. And listen, listen, uh, listen to this, like some of what's happening there. It's, this is actually talking about the priest garments in chapter 28. 
But the priest was to wear this breastplate that had these 12 stones on it, and the stones had the name of every tribe of Israel. And this is what it says. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And, the breast, uh, and, and then the end of the next verse, um, they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. God was providing, and, and then it leads into right the sacrificial system, a way to deal with God's judgment on their rebellion, on their saying, is the Lord among us or not? Did the Lord actually lead us to this place to kill us, to abandon us, or what? So all of that is in play here as we come to Hebrews 4. Um, really quick, a couple of things that help frame this little five verses. One way to think about the book of Hebrews, I believe I've had this on the whole time. Why didn't anyone tell me? Okay, I'm going to start over. Um, um, three things about the book of Hebrews that we see in this passage. That's one reason I'm bringing this up. Hebrews has scripture, Old Testament, Hebrew scripture after Hebrew scripture after Hebrew scripture that the writer presents. I don't, I think it's more than any other book in the New Testament. Quoting, 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 all these scriptures. And with the purpose of pointing to the greatness of Jesus over and over. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the covenant. He's greater than the sacrifices. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the temple. All to point to this desirability and trustworthiness of Jesus but also to warn, to warn the people. I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, secondly, as a book, it is arguably has the highest Christology and the most human Christology in the New Testament. John definitely rivals the highest Christology, but no other book in the New Testament talks about the humanity of Jesus the way the book of Hebrews does. That he really suffered. That he tasted death. That he learned obedience through suffering. Full of over and over and over. In, to the point that in a beautiful way, um, this is the third week in a row we've heard in, in the appointed reading, the, the, the writer, and this is probably an... Uh, oratorical, like a, a sermon or some sort of oral presentation, because the way it, it's the only book that, that uses the name Jesus over and over, except for the Gospels. 
and the, where we hear it here, right? Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. Paul, Paul, this might be an exaggeration, but the Apostle Paul never refers to him that way. He refers to him as Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. There's this emphasis on his, he's a real person. He's a human being with a name, Jesus. Um, and then lastly, this book is written as an exhortation. I touched on that before. So lots of scripture pointing to Jesus. Jesus, divine and human. And the whole book is written to exhort Christians, Jewish Christians most likely, to hold on and to press on in the midst of very difficult and scary circumstances. If you read toward the end of the book, it talks about their friends being imprisoned. It talks about the threat of shedding their blood. And right, even right here, he, the, the argument is, don't be like your fathers in the wilderness who were unfaithful and therefore did not make it to the promised land. There is a promise here of rest today, but there's also the, 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 the exhortation to don't settle in a, in a place of rest right now because there's a greater rest to come. And he is exhorting them over and over, them personally and then them to tell each other Hold on, stand fast, press on. Life is hard. You've experienced hurts. You're going to want to turn away. In fact, you're going to want to hide. But the word of God is living and active. It wasn't just a word for long ago. It's for today. It's like a two-edged sword. And it lays things wide open and bare and exposed. Nothing hidden before the one with whom we have to give a word, is what it says. So the word, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, if it exposes you, if it, if it reveals to you, I do have this tendency to harden my heart, or I do have this tendency to, to not trust in God completely, but to actually trust in this way of reacting, or this way of solving my problem, or this way of feeling better about myself right now. There's a place to go. Don't hide. Don't numb. Don't run away. Don't isolate. Go to your high priest. And so the exhortation that we hear over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews is this phrase, let us. I had a Bible professor in college who said Hebrews was a garden variety book because there's so much lettuce in it. it says over, let us. 
let us. And here it's, since we have this great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. In other words, he's gone to the promised land before us. He's there and he's here. Let us hold fast our confession. I'm not going to go into all that, but the, the reference there is like, who do you confess Jesus to be? The writer's been talking about that for three and a, four and a half chapters, three and a half chapters. Go back, the Son of God and tons of beautiful things. Hold fast that confession. Human, divine, suffered. And then, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to be compassionate with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are. He has been in the wilderness thirsty. He's been in the garden terrified of dying. And yet, he did not turn away. The only human who didn't from the Father. Did you hear Isaiah 53? That's trauma, my friends. Jesus was traumatized. He was wounded. He was beaten. He was rejected. He was tortured. And he was hung naked on the street. And he loves you. And he's with you. Let me close. Uh, by sharing, well, couple, one other thing before I close. So in the trauma work, one of the things we learn about is our need, human beings' need from the earliest days of our life. We need attunement and we need containment. Our brains are wired this way, that we need other people who attune to us, who look at us in the eye and don't turn away. And we need other human beings who hear our pain, our fear, our struggle, and are able to stay with us and hold it in our presence. There is no way to heal without that sort of a thing. And without telling your story to another. Do you see, where, do you see how this fits this passage? We have a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are, wounded, unto death. So you know I do ordination work, and yesterday we were interviewing uh, a woman who has experienced a lot of 
questioning and rejection and judgment because she's a woman who wants to be ordained. And there's a, a woman on my team, a very gifted woman priest on my team, who looked at her and said, and this comes from her experience in working with lots of other women, um, and this was the most moving thing of my whole day yesterday. I was in Jacksonville, interviewed two people, and Carrie said, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Don't look to all these other people. Look to Jesus. Jesus will take your face in his hand, in his hands, and he will say, look at me. Look me in the eyes. I see you. I know you. I know what you're going through. I can hold it. I am with you. I will help you. Don't hide. Stay with me. That's what Jesus invites us to, even right now. Today, if we hear his voice, let's soften our hearts and look in his eyes as best we can. We can trust him. Will we trust him? Amen.